Good morning, everyone. Good morning, good morning, and welcome back. Welcome back to the Porsche Cool Podcast. It's owner's stories today. Steve's not here. It's not Friday's episode. It's Tuesday's episode, and shortly I'm going to be joined um, by another Porsche enthusiast, another Porsche owner. This is Porsche Cool Owner Stories. Like I said, this is number, where are we? Number 37, number 37 already. It's crazy how quickly um, we're going through the numbers here. Uh, soon we'll be up to 50 owner stories. I mean, I've had I've had a pretty crazy response actually for this series and I keep saying it every every intro to every owner's stories every week and you guys are probably getting a little bit sick of hearing it but it's um it's quite uh, it's quite difficult to keep keep track of and keep uh, up with actually um there's a lot of you guys out there who are just who are just so enthusiastic and and just really want to come on and tell your story and i'm trying to get everyone on so i apologize to the people that i haven't got back to i apologize to the people that i haven't scheduled yet uh, i will get back to you and i will i uh, will eventually get you um, on the podcast um, i don't forget about it i write everyone's names down and i always have a list of uh, who i have to go through um, it's Saturday today. I'm recording this on a Saturday. I always record these a couple of weeks in advance. I always have a couple up my sleeve just in case my daily work life gets a bit crazy. Uh, I'm in the UK. It's bank holiday weekend. Um, so that'll pinpoint the time for you guys who are in the UK. You know what's going on. I think it's Memorial Day in the US. Uh, it's early Saturday morning. Um, I'm going to get Ben. He's almost uh, ready to come online. This is through Zoom, as you guys always know. Um, and we're going to get Ben on the line uh, from the UK. And he's going to talk about his Porsche cooled owner's story. Okay, welcome back, everyone. Welcome back to Owner's Stories. Like I said, this is number 37. Uh, today, I am joined by Ben, and Ben is in Sheffield. Good morning, Ben. How are you? Morning, Michael. Good, thank you. Thank you for having me on. No, thanks. Thanks for coming on. Uh, I'm glad we managed to uh, schedule a time pretty pretty close to when you messaged me, actually. It hasn't been that many weeks, has it? It's only been a few weeks, I think, since we, uh, since we first started chatting about you coming on the podcast. No, you've got you've got a lot of interest, so I'm I'm just very grateful for the opportunity. So, owner stories. You know, all the listeners always enjoy the first question. Uh, I've had a lot of people reach out to me and say they always like the first question, and the last question, or the first chat and the last chat of the pod, of the owner stories um, series. So, we always like to begin where it all started for you, uh, where it all started with Porsche, where it all started with your car journey. Um, was Porsche something that you? that you noticed when you were a kid like did a did a neighbor have one did a family member have one or was it sort of like me where it happened much later in life and and I started noticing them due to due to friends like Steve uh and then eventually uh bit the bullet and and bought one how did it all start for you Ben? I'd say a bit a bit of both really to be honest Michael um one of my earliest car memories was being taken to school by my neighbor who happened to be a teacher at the school that I was at. Um, now, she did not have a Porsche. She had a rusty blue Austin Maestro, um, which was as far away from a Porsche as you could get. Um, but on the way to school, we passed a local garage, and the I think it must have the owner from that had, I didn't really know what it was at the time, but it was the classic um, 911 Turbo with a big whale tail spoiler bright red and his license plate was 25 low which read as too slow oh right and i used to see this every morning um from the age of about must have been about nine till about 11 and thinking that is a thing that i want at some point um so that would be my first sort of porsche memory and then it all went a bit a bit quiet really and then my dad really um I don't know how this came about. He 
went to a Porsche dealer and one of the cars that he test drove was a 924. And I have a memory uh, of us being in, in, it must have been the back. So I'm assuming they had small seats in the back and we would have been little. Yes. Um, And being bounced around the country lane in the back of a 924 with a Porsche dealer. And then he bought us, sorry, go on. So did he buy the car? No, he did not. (laughs) So... He, he, in many ways, went as far away from that as possible, and we ended up with a Saab 9.5 Turbo. He wanted a, a safe car, a reliable car, essentially a tank on four wheels, and this was, from what I could gather, as far away from a 9.24 as possible. It is. It's far away, but it's, pretty, it's a pretty cool car to choose. You know what I mean? Like your dad's I obviously was, got a bit of a style to him to pick a 9.5 turbo. You know what I mean? Like it's a, it's a pretty cool car and it's, it's getting a lot more sort of interest now again, isn't it? The Saabs, people are starting to look at, look at them again, the 9.3 turbos and the 9.5 turbos and, and things like that. So he, he obviously had good tasting cars or has good tasting cars. Well, at the time, in hindsight, I was devastated. I, I, thought, this was, <laughs> I thought this was the worst thing ever and, and gone from could have had a Porsche to we've got this and it was a it was like a maroon brown color so it wasn't oh, okay. even a, a good color <laughs> okay uh, and and to, and to make it worse we took it to a wildlife safari park and the monkeys came and chewed big chunks off the the rear rubber spoiler so it was it looked oh really after a while like okay. it was not i'll take that upgrade. back then. <laughs> <laughs> but now right. yeah now yes and, and a Saab Turbo is a very cool car but at the time I was devastated. All right so you you've you've seen that one that really cool one with the, the 911 with the plates your dad test drives a, a a 924 he doesn't get it. So when you start your car journey what what is it, what is the first sort of memorable memorable car that you you start driving uh, or you or you purchase for the first time? Well memorable would be for the wrong reasons is I I learned to drive on my mum's Volvo 340GL, which if you're looking for an armoured car on wheels, then this would be the closest thing to it. Um, and it was sort of the exact opposite of what you wanted as a teenage boy to be driving. Yeah. Um, and I think I always had that memory of Porsche in the back of my mind thinking, I, I, just, I just want something. At some point, I want something nice. And I bought my first car, which was a Peugeot 306. I wanted a GTI, but I couldn't afford a GTI. Um, uh, so I had a, had a bright red 306 and maybe it was red because of the, uh, of the Porsche that I saw, but it was just a, seemed like a decent car, um, as the first one. And I'd say my first proper car would be my next one, which was a Mark V Golf GTI. Okay. So good, good driver's car. So you wanted the GTI and the 306. I had a 206. I was, I wanted the GTI as well, but I, I only bought the 206, um, Okay, so you're getting into driver's cars. The, the GTI is a great car. So then when does it? When do you start thinking, okay, um, and I just want to tell the listeners, we've got a few cars to get through here, so I want to get straight into the Porsche thing now. But when do you start thinking, okay, I'm, I'm going to buy a 911 or I'm going to buy a Porsche, I'm going to buy a Boxster? When does that start happening? So, so 911s were always out of my, my price range, really. You know, I was early 20s at this point, so it was, it was just largely unattainable um but starting work having a little bit disposable income in my back pocket always looking for the next thing the next car you know this car was only a stepping stone to the next car and there was two things really that sort of pushed me towards getting my first porsche 
on the walk into university, we got passed on a daily basis by a blue, dark blue. I don't know what the color would be. 993 Carrera 4S. And the noise this thing would make just accelerating out of a junction was just the best thing that I remember hearing on a daily basis. And, but that was out of my price range, but driving um, around, I was stuck behind a Boxster and I'd never, this is the first time I'd seen one in the flesh. And again, the noise that that made accelerating off the lights just planted that seed of this is a thing that I just need. I don't know how I can make this work from a numbers side of things, but I just need this in my life. And suddenly the Golf GTI seemed very boring and seemed very ordinary. That's the problem though, isn't it? When you start noticing Porsche and you start looking at them, all other cars do look a little bit boring. I mean, unless you're going your supercar or Ferrari or something like that, I guess. But all those other cars that you thought were really cool, like the hot hatches, they're still kind of cool, but they just don't match up to, to the Porsche. No, you're very right. It's and as soon as you start noticing them, you see them everywhere, um, and almost getting sort of trolled on a daily basis of cars that that you could have had. Okay, so what year are we now? We're we're in what year when you buy your first your first Porsche? So this would be um, probably just after the millennium. So sort of two thousand one, two thousand and two. Okay, so um, 2001, you've seen that Boxster, you, you, you've, you've admired the Boxster, the 911's a bit too expensive at the time. How do you, what do you start looking for? Do you start looking for a Boxster straight away, or you still test the waters with 911 to see if there's one cheap enough? No, I'm, I'm a horribly impulsive, or I certainly was at that time, impulsive car buyer. So without, I mean, I've changed now, but I, it was looking on Auto Trader on a Friday I went with a, my best friend and on a Saturday to a garage not a million miles from where we were, looked at the car, bought the car in basically the space of a day. In hindsight, probably it wasn't the right car to buy. It was quite a, um, quite a leggy, not desperately well looked after, very early sort of 2.5 Boxster. Okay. Um, so tell the listeners exactly what you bought, the color. I mean, you said it's a 2.5, so it's the first early model. Um, just tell the listeners exactly what you bought, Ben. So this was a, uh, it was a, I think it was a 98 registered 2.5 um, Boxster in Arctic silver, black leather interior. Um, uh, it had done probably about 20 mile, 1,000 miles at the time, which didn't seem a lot. But to be honest, I didn't really know enough to do sort of due diligence. I wasn't patient enough to do due diligence. And in hindsight, probably this wasn't the right car. I had a number of things that were, cosmetically needing needed sorted but i i couldn't really see those sort of at the time i just wanted the car okay so this wasn't from a porsche dealer this was from just an independent dealer that you found the car no at the time we didn't have a porsche dealer in our city so okay the closest one would was about a an hour's drive at least so there was nothing local to us in terms of how to get it and i was a little bit hesitant about going in there as a sort of you know, it's like scruffy 24-year-old um, uh, you know, compared to some of the cars on, on offer. So, it, yeah, it was um, very much a local dealer, no real warranty to speak of, um, and a little bit of a gamble, which paid off, but it was a, still quite a gamble. So this is early 2000s? Yes, that'd be about right. So early 2000s, and the car is how many years old? So that would have been about, I think it was about sort of three, I want to say three, three and a half years old. 
Okay, so it's only three and a half years old. It's not it's not that old at the time. It's it's a reasonably new car. When you think when you buy a three year old car, you know, there's you always have that in the back of your mind. Well, this is what I have in the back of my mind. It's like, well, how much could be wrong with it really? It's only three years old, it's still reasonably new. Um, it's obviously out of warranty, out of Porsche warranty. When you purchased the car and you and you and you took it home for the first time, was there anything that that surprised you, Ben? That was that was seriously wrong with the car? No, the, the, mechanically it was it was it was pretty sound actually. So the first first six months or so were were trouble free, no issues whatsoever at all. I needed to change the tires. Um, uh, I wanted to do a few little cosmetic things. At the time, it had the um, amber indicator sections on the front lamps and I think the updated version had just come out where they had the clear lenses and I wanted to change those so there were some cosmetic things that I wanted to do um, which I did pretty quick actually Um, but in terms of mechanical issues no problems at all um, for the first six months and then um, I had an issue with the heat shields and the exhaust blew on the way back from work, which transformed it from a Boxster into what sounded like a full-on GT <laughs> race car. Um, but actually, mechanically, that car was very sound. So let's go back to the experience. Let's go back to that experience. You've been waiting for quite some time. You know, this is your first Porsche. How did it feel when you took it on that first, that first spirited drive in, in your area where you live? I was a bit nervous. Um, I hadn't had a rear-injured car before. Mine had yep. all been sort of front-wheel drive. I mean, the, the GTI was pretty talky, so it would spin its wheels in you know first and second gear. But this this, this felt different. And I remember coming out of a, a roundabout, slightly off camber, slightly cold morning, and the back end just stepped out with just a bit of a bit of throttle. Um, I remember thinking, "Oh, this is different. You've just got to be a little bit careful here." when you're learning how to drive this thing. So the handling felt different, but the handling felt so sharp. The sound was the thing that first really sort of sucked me in. It just you had the mechanical engine noise literally just behind your head. You could hear sort of induction roar. You could hear exhaust roar. And, and this was thought, I thought this is, this is it in terms of cars. This is what I want. And I was, I was delighted, absolutely delighted with it. Yeah, it is that. It is the uh, that first drive in a in a box store in a nine eleven. It really is a, a a different experience to anything else, isn't it? It really is because it is that weight transfer. It is the mid engine or the rear engine. You know, it it really does feel completely different um, to any other car. So, how long did you own the first Boxster for? Obviously, you still don't own that car now. <clears throat> so, how long did you own that car for? So, I probably had that about three years, and I think in when I was younger, I had a horrible tendency to sort of keep a car for probably two three years and then the next new shiny thing would come along and then it would be i'd find a reason as to justify why i needed to change when in in hindsight i probably should have kept those cars a bit longer um the sort of the newer newer models were coming out um uh, my car suddenly didn't look quite as sharp as it did a while back and there was just starting to get a few little niggles with it that needed changing every time it went to the to the dealer we'd got a Porsche dealer by that time it just started getting bigger bills bigger bills not not massive problems but just enough that made me think mechanically there's a there's a big bill around the corner um and I'm ashamed to say I swapped it for a BMW E46 M3 <laughs> did you okay we'll get into that um so the the Boxster though when you bought it it's a few years old how was the IMS issue at the time when you bought that? Was it something that you'd heard about or was it something that was there or you just you didn't really know much about it? 
I had zero clue that this was even a thing. Okay. Um, so up until probably relatively recently, it only really dawned on me that I had a couple of cars that were prone to this issue. Um, so either I was lucky or I just didn't keep the car enough. I mean, I, I drove it daily to and from work, literally every day, all weathers. Okay. And it never really missed a beat in terms of the engine. Oh, that's great. And, and local dealers that I took it to, um, independents rather than the main dealer for sort of non, non sort of um, service work, all gave it a clean bill of health. So I was probably in blissful ignorance, really. I just hadn't really heard of it i didn't really know about it and in many ways probably i suspect that was a little bit more enjoyable rather than always thinking yeah looking out of the car for a puddle that that was never going to be there yeah true you just enjoyed the car so yeah okay so you you sell it and you buy your bmw you buy the m3 that was yes that was a another silver i've i'm horribly unoriginal in my car colors that was the e46 and it had the smg gearbox oh okay um and how was the how was that car compared to the Boxster that you just came out of? How did it feel in in uh, driving driving experience? It was faster, but it wasn't as much fun on a Peak, peak District twisty road. Right. Um, right. Uh, but I was sort of needing a little bit more space. We were, you know, going to move at some point, so I just needed that little bit more practicality that I couldn't really get. Although the Boxster with its front and back boots had a huge amount of luggage space, it just wasn't quite the right layout. And I, there was times where I needed to carry four adults from time to time, and, and this is sort of what pushed me towards it. Yeah, and the, the M3s are good cars, though. I mean, they're popular cars, and they're, you know, they're still a popular model today. So did you keep that car, did you keep the BMW M3 for as long as the Boxster or, or shorter period? So I kept that for about probably another three years, Okay. Um, uh, and and then, if I'm honest, I probably started getting a little bit bored of the day-to-day -day driving experience. I found with the sort of the M cars, and I've I've sort of had another M3 since. Um, is that when you're commuting around and in sort of traffic, for a lot of the time, you can't really tell it's an M car. Um, the opportunities to really test the handling, test the performance, hear the engine noise are very limited, and. I just found that it just wasn't really rewarding enough on a day-to-day -day basis compared to the Boxster. So the Boxster it, was sorry, sorry Ben. The Boxster was a manual, wasn't it? It was, yes. So how did you find the SMG? Because the SMG had a few issues on certain years, didn't it? Was it was it a reliable uh, transmission? Well, it's funny you say issues. Actually, is that is that reliability no problems at all? I liked it because. It had a reputation for being really jerky and very, very clunky. Yes. But on full upshifts, on full throttle, I really, really liked the sort of feeling that a gear was disengaging and then another gear was engaging. Okay. And you'd get almost a bit of a smack in the back of the head as the as the gear re-engaged. And that felt, if I really enjoyed that sensation of something happening. Um, the worst thing about that gearbox is changing down it had a tendency to have a really long think about it before it selected your gear. Okay. So slowing down to a roundabout and then moving off the roundabout was quite frankly, at times it felt dangerous because the time you wanted to go would be the time it would, it would have a think about which gear and then find you second gear. And then when you did go, you'd almost go like a stabbed rat and fishtailing your way around the roundabout. So that was the worst thing about it. But 
I, I could live with that. You just had to sort of change down early rather than change down just as you wanted to go. Did BMW try to do any fixes to that transmission or they couldn't do fixes? I can't remember. I think I had a software update at some point, um, but I really, I, I really liked the sort of clunkiness of it. it. It sort of felt like it had a bit of character to it. Yes, you sort of had to know how to really drive it and, and learn how to use it. And I have to say that I found that quite quite charming, really. So the sort of sensation that you had to there, here was something you had to really understand, so it didn't stick you in the back of a bus when you're coming out of a roundabout. Yeah, character to the car. So, okay, so the trend here is there's a bit of a trend going on. There's a trend with, you know, they're driver's cars. You are buying driver's cars. You've had the GTI, you, you went into the 306, you know, you got the M3. So do we go into a Porsche next or do we go into something else? We go back into another Porsche. We go into a um, 987 box dress. Okay, so a 987. So this is going back to when you had your other Boxster. You said it was looking a little bit old, a little bit tired. Is that the reason why you wanted to get into a, the newer model? And also you've gone up in uh, power as well because you got into an S, right? The first one was just a standard, a base. Yeah, I mean, driving around in 2.5, there were, there were S's around and I became very aware that I had the 2.5 and that wasn't even the – because there was an upgraded engine, it went to the 2.7, so I had the very lowest power. And there was little cosmetic things like the S just had the S on the back. It had <laughs> I was going to say, you know, I was going to say, Ben, sorry for interrupting. I was going to say it's that S on the back, isn't it? Every time I used to see one, it was like the S, the one with the S on the back just looks better. You know, it's no different really, but it's just that S. It looked better. It sounded better. The twin exhausts were a thing. Every time I looked at mine, it just had one. And it was just that little seed that says, here's something that's better than what you've got. And yeah. I just couldn't shake that. So... Um, when it was tight, when I wanted to get another, and it was another boxer I wanted, then I, then it was always going to be an S, always going to be the the um, I think it was a three point two I want to say three point two S. So where where did you find that car? How did you come about that car? So again, I it was on Auto Trader, and I just happened to be looking, and my local dealer. So we had a dealer in in, in Sheffield by this time. They had a one in GT Silver. Um, and the only thing that I was wasn't sure about is it had a grey leather interior. Okay. Um, and in the pictures on the dealer website, the grey looks quite light. Um, it almost—I'm not sure whether it was the lighting, but it looked really very light. And I remember thinking, this car has virtually everything I want. It's got Lytronics, it's got heated seats, it's got sat nav, it's got Bose, it's got all the sort of extras that i really thought this was this would make it a car because my previous boxer had had virtually nothing on it so that that was really poorly spec but this was a nicely spec car but it was the gray it was the gray leather interior it had nice contrast stitching on it and i wasn't sure so when you went to so when you went to see the car the gray interior was okay it wasn't as bad as what you thought i preferred it uh, when i sat in it i remember thinking actually this is nice this looks slightly different to black which which i felt could just get a little bit lost um uh, in in the silver I'd, I'd stuck a lot of silver bits onto my previous one to try and lift the interior but this had some of the serious um, silver trim um and i think i thought actually actually i prefer this so it's well well optioned uh it's from a good dealer is it low mileage or high mileage that was low mileage again that was i think eighteen thousand miles at the time 
And um, warranty or no warranty? Yeah, full Porsche warranty. So it had the two-year warranty on it. And the dealer, we went out for a test drive. And before I'd even turned the key, I knew I was buying this car. Um, uh, so I had to pretend to be not particularly excited, make the I'm not particularly impressed noises, try and play hard to get. And I knew I, I knew that I was having this car. It's just trying to play the game of trying to <laughs> make it as relatively inexpensive as possible even though it was going to be quite expensive yeah so so you're getting it from a dealer you don't bother doing a ppi because it has the warranty correct it's already correct it's got enough it's got warranty so that's enough reassurance for you so we're going up quite a lot in price from the 986 though aren't we from a 986 standard to a 987 boxster s how old was the boxster s at the time so that was uh, again about 18 months old so that was a 2005 car um, and I think it was 2000, um, uh, 2006 that I that I picked this up. Okay, so it's pretty new, so therefore the depreciation probably hasn't hit in fully, so it's still a reasonably expensive car. It was for me at the time, um, but one of my long-term problems, and I guess it is a problem, I guess, if you speak to certain people, is that I spend more of my salary than is healthy on a car. Um, <laughs> okay. uh, <laughs> but, you know, for me, the reward... And the enjoyment of driving it every day, you know, justified it. I could easily justify that. It was, it was, it wasn't an issue to me, and I don't regret that for for an instant. But yes, and absolutely, a significant hike in price for 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 me at the time. Okay, the listeners of the podcast. There's a lot of listeners who are, you know, who are wanting to get into Porsche. They're wanting to get into 911. I mean, as we know, 911 prices now are going crazy. Uh, 996s are becoming harder to obtain in certain countries. I mean, UK they're still reasonably priced, but in Australia, etc., they're not. If someone's looking at a Boxster and they, you know, the 986 has come up, and I see them come up, and they're quite inexpensive, especially the 2.5s. Would you? Would you say? spend that little bit of extra money and get the 987 how was the difference in in the driving experience and in the feel between the 986 and the 987 the most obvious thing for me would be the difference between the 2.5 and the 3.2 3.4 so that extra power i think makes the difference so whether it's a 986 or a 987 for me the chassis is so good and the handling is so good the extra power that you can get from a slightly bigger engine would be the thing that I would sort of think about more than anything else. But it's, it, I don't think either of those cars dynamically are found wanting. And now, even now, I think you'd find them very rewarding to drive. So I'm not sure I'd be particularly um, picky about which one. Um, I like the looks of the 987 more than the 986. I think the headlights are a little bit more sorted. Uh, I never was a massive fan of, of the teardrop headlights, but now they're sort of like a very, very classic design. And when I see them on the road now, I have really sort of fond feeling, remember memories of that, of that car. Yeah, and I guess the 987 is is the interior is very similar to the 997. Um, and the 986 is similar interior in a way to the 996, isn't it? It's kind of like that's the sort of comparison that you could make. Yeah, and, and, and you're right, actually, the, the step up in interior is, is probably the big thing. I think the 986 interior, the buttons on that were always felt a little bit plasticky and like they would almost fall off every time you press them. And the, sort of the 987, the, um, the, the step up in quality was quite noticeable. The, everything just felt a lot more premium than it did on the previous one. Yeah, yeah, I think I have to agree. When you see the interior, it is a big difference. Um, so, okay, so the, the 987 Boxster S, 
What did you, was there anything that you added to the car during your ownership? Were there any mods that you did? Did it have a good exhaust note? Did it have the sports exhaust or a better exhaust on it? What did you, uh, what did you add to your Boxster? I added nothing. Nothing. Um, it, had, it, had, <laughs> it had the sports exhaust um, and it was, I wanted to keep it under, under Porsche warranty because I was a little bit frightened that the bills were going to be, if, the, if something went wrong with it, the bills were going to be quite a lot um, out of warranty. Um, so I kept it completely standard. Um, I don't think I changed a thing to that car. And I didn't really want to. Um, I like the wheels. It had the lobster claw wheels, which I really liked. Um, so bar just sort of brakes, brake pads and discs and tires and, and wear and tear, I didn't change a thing with that car. That's fantastic. I guess you did say it's a well-optioned car too. So what really do you need to add as well? Um, I do actually like the boxes with the with the lobster claws. Actually, I mean, you know, I've got the lobster claws on my nine nine seven, but I really, I think they look great on the boxster as well. Easy to clean as well. That was the other thing. Absolutely, they are. They're very easy to clean. All right, so you're enjoying this boxster S. Um, there's a trend here. You you like the boxster. Um, you know, and and you like the you like the drop top version. You like the you know the open air, the sound, uh, you know, the mid engine sort of feel of the car. What makes you sell this car? Because you sold this one as well. So what made you think, okay, I, I need something different now? So this was a decision that I was forced into rather than wanted to do. Um, I'd got my son was a few years old at this time. And he came around in the front seat, in his child seat. But then child two came along and no longer could the Boxster be used as a, as a sort of transport. You know, I couldn't, I couldn't take the kids in it. Yes. I had no other car. I had no access to another car. This was my only car. Okay. It was my work commute car, nursery pickup car. So I had to sell that car. And it's the only car that I, was, that I regretted selling all the right. previous ones I'd wanted to upgrade. This one I didn't. I was very happy with it. Uh, and if I could have kept it, I would have kept it, but I couldn't. So okay. it had to go, unfortunately. So you start looking for more of a family car then? So this is the transition period where you go into something like a SUV or what happens? Um, again, SUVs have never held any kind of interest to me whatsoever. I remember getting a, a KN as a courtesy car from the dealer and, thinking this is this is like a tank i'm looking down on people in buses i feel like i'm driving along a motorway in the top <laughs> deck of a double decker just yeah. I just i just didn't get on with it so i've never it was never that so i remember thinking what is the fastest best handling four seater sports car that i can get and legitimately call a family car and it was a e92 m3 okay so you go into the m3 again it's, you know, it's a sensible choice. I mean, it is, it is a good driver's car, once again, um, and it's practical. How was the ownership experience of, of that M3 compared to your first one? Quite similar in that mechanically, both cars were absolutely bulletproof. I had no, not one mechanical issue on either of those cars. Um, and apart from servicing, no air alliance, no nothing. They never went back to the dealer for anything. So... As daily propositions, they were brilliant. Um, and I still couldn't think of a better car that I could have got. I was tempted by the RS4 at the time. Okay, yeah. They were a little bit older, examples-wise. Um, and I just liked the look of the Power Dame on the M3. 
I thought they I thought they looked great. I thought they sounded great. Um, and once I sort of decided that's what I wanted, um, uh, you know, it turned out that's that's what I got. And it, it was the right decision. It was a supremely comfortable way. It had a lot of space for four adults, um, and it was a great car um, for what I needed at the time. So, how was the transmission on the updated M3 compared to the SMG? I guess you could call it more refined. I didn't like it as much. It was so not as enjoyable, not as mechanical, not as it was as, smooth. As an experience. Yeah. If you were commuting in stop-start traffic, you'd say it was infinitely better. But as an as sort of a bit of fun, it just didn't have it. It would just felt too refined, too smooth. I liked the jerkiness, I liked the clunkiness, and it yeah. didn't have that. It's weird, isn't it? It's 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 sometimes perfection is not always better. You know what I mean? Like I think you've explained it quite well with the SMG compared to the new one and, and what you liked about it. It's like it's okay to have a little a flaw or, or a character trait here and there. It kind of adds to the experience. Um, because everything I used to read about that SMG, people used to say it was terrible and don't buy one. Even in, in articles now, Ben, uh, you know, with, you know, do you want to get a used M3? They say avoid the SMG. But maybe it's not as bad as what all these people are saying. I think it depends what you want. I mean... For me, who want to, who, uh, and let's be honest, these, these four-seater cars were a little bit of a compromise in terms of what I wanted at the time. It, was, it made it feel more like a sports car rather than a sporty car, if that makes sense. Yes. Um, yep. All right. Um, so there's a trend. There's another trend here, German cars. You like German cars. You're in, <laughs> I know this is going to change shortly. You like German cars and you're in BMWs, you're in Porsches. You have the M3. Uh, it's a practical car. It works for your family. It all makes sense. I mean, a lot of other people have spoken about this, where they change out a Porsche to get something more practical. When does what comes next? Is is a is a Porsche coming after this, or the kids have to grow up a little bit first? How does it all work out? So the the, the kids were a little bit older, um, and then again, I got probably itchy feet at about after about three years, and by this time, the 997s were out on. And about on the roads and i just remember seeing these cars and thinking they they look nice and again it was that this isn't a porsche this isn't a porsche this isn't a porsche every time i was in the bmw <laughs> it just wasn't a porsche yeah um and again that nagging thought was there and unless i did something about it it was just going to be too hard to sort of live with so it was I, just, I was thinking, which 997 do I want? And this would be about 2012 okay. um, that I was thinking about changing. The, the kids are old enough that I could just about make. They didn't have all the stuff to carry with them, so they could go in the back. They weren't big enough to complain. Um, uh, so I could sort of justify making a 911 work as a, as a daily car, yes. a, a family car, if you will. Um, uh, and once I'd sort of justified that in my head, it was like, right, there's no barrier here now to not, not looking for one. So 2012, though, we're looking at, we're looking at 997.2 and we're looking at 997.2s being quite new on the market. So did you, yes. purchase, did you look at, start looking at new 997s? Again, the, the new were, were probably out of my financial, you know, out of, out of my price range really. And I have to say, I've never bought a brand new car because I've always been mindful of as soon as you drive it away, you just take a big hit in terms of how much it depreciates. Yes. Um, I've never been able to actually consider that in terms of just the price point, but 
Um, uh, I've sort of always, I guess, taken advantage of someone else taking that hit in terms of depreciation. Um, uh, and by this time, the sort of 997.2s were sort of coming into my price range where I could make that work, really. And if I'm honest, I, I never really looked at a, a Gen 1 because I liked the look of the lights on the Gen 2. Yes. Um, and the LEDs at the front were also sort of another little small detail that just made me think that. All right. So the car, the 997.2 at that point was probably only under a year old, right? There, there wouldn't be many used ones on the market. Do you go to your no. local Porsche dealer and, and, and start seeing what they have in stock? So again, I was looking and there, there really weren't many around. And this was a, I think it was a, it had been bought literally about nine months before and used very sparingly and then and then sold back to the to the dealer and, and this wasn't a local dealer to me this was over in manchester so it was a good hour's drive away okay um and again saw it on the friday booked a visit on the saturday um and as soon as i walked into it i knew i was buying that car um uh, and then bought it again within about half an hour Okay, so they, quick, they, quick decision, very quick very decision. Very quick. They made me an incredibly competitive offer for my M3. And I remember almost having to stab myself in the thigh with a biro, trying to stop myself from smiling as <laughs> okay. to how much money they said they would give me. All right, and once so, they'd done that, it was a done deal. So that was it. So tell the listeners what you, what you purchased, Ben. What was it exactly so, in the options and everything? So it was a 2010 997 uh, Gen 2 Carrera 4S uh, in black. Nice. Um, and it... Again, it was fully optioned, um, uh, had virtually everything on it that I wanted apart from auto-dimming mirrors. Okay. Um, but it was a highly specced, not very much driven car. Um, uh, I, I can't remember exactly what options were standard, but it had, again, the Bose, the sat-nav, um, uh, sort of the Xenons, uh, heated seats, um, uh, 18-way adjustable seats, which were incredibly comfortable, um, uh, it was there was no option really that I didn't really have that I thought I really want this sports, sports exhaust as well, sports which exhaust. was the key, absolute yep. key. That was the only that was the one thing that I'd learned is you like the noise, so you need to find a car which has got the sports exhaust. Yes. Um, so sorry, Ben. What, did you say it was manual? It was no. This was a PDK. 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 So it has leather interior. It's fully optioned. Fully optioned. Full leather. Extended leather across the across the dash and everywhere. It was a it was a beautifully specced car. Okay. So the first thing I, I bet when you noticed when you drove out of the dealership, you you think back to your Boxster and you think about how different it was, how different it is inside the 911 and the different driving feel. How was that experience? It felt. It, I have to say, it didn't feel that's different okay the noise was a little bit less in that the engine was just a little bit further away but it was not significantly different it felt not quite as sharp going into the corners you could tell it was a little bit heavier but i have to say it was such a a well sorted car and i guess this sort of the advances in the models is that I would, you know, I'm no motoring journalist, so I would struggle to tell you that it was a significantly different car. It yeah. felt like a Porsche, and that's the main thing for me. It was pin sharp. The, the turn-in was great. I know they say the four-wheel drive has got less turn-in than the two-wheel drive. On day-to-day driving, I couldn't honestly tell you I would notice a difference. Um, uh, you know, this, this needed to be a winter car, which is why it needed to be the four-wheel drive, but it was, it was, I, was, I was delighted, again delighted. 
Yeah, and I've said this before, the Carrera 4S 997. I mean, my friend Nick in the UK, he's got, who was on the very first owner stories, he's got, the, he's got a 0.1. But it's just a, you know, and that's fully optioned as well. It's just a, it's just that the rear of that 4S is just so beautiful. I mean, it really is. And I mean, you know, going back all those years when you've bought your first Boxster, you know, the 2.5, and you said you couldn't afford a 911, it must have been a great feeling when you're, when you're sitting in that 911 for the first time. I'd always had that sort of 911H. I always thought you, at some point you need a 911. At some point you need a 911. And I thought if I'm going to do, I'm, if I'm going to do it, I can I can afford to do it. This is the one I'm going to do it with, and I'm going to do it properly with the one that I really want. And it was the it was the red strip across the rear that sort of pushed me towards the 4S. Yeah. Um, again, I'm very sort of motivated by how the car looks, the visual appeal of it, and just the the view from the rear with the LEDs and the and the red the red strip across it was what what really sold it for me. So do you think if, if this dealer wouldn't have given you such a great price on your M3 that you were trading, that you would have skipped this car? You would have let it go? Oh, no, I was buying that car. I was, <laughs> okay. I was, I was, buying, I, I was buying that car, and it was just how expensive this, is this going to be for me? <laughs> it was me? just a bonus. It was a bonus by getting the extra trade-in, the better value I, of the got, trade-in. Yeah, I'd got my sort of finance already in place. I knew the numbers. And okay. And when they came back with a number that was, you know, several thousands more than I thought, I was, I was thought, right, this is like the icing on the cake. But it was like, got to play it cool, don't be too excited. Um, and I knew I had to put, I knew I had to get it then and there. Yes. Because I could see someone else looking at that car out of the office that I was in, talking to the salesperson. Oh, okay, okay. So and I don't know quick. whether, yeah, I don't know whether they they were pulling my leg. Um, but they said they got a number of people coming to view that car because it had literally only come on the market. So I knew I'd got to make a decision very quickly. I was the first person in to see that car on the Saturday morning. And I knew that if I, if I didn't get this car and there wasn't going to be a better car that came along, then I would regret it. Okay. So you, you, you've got the car, you're enjoying it. It's a well-optioned car. Do you, do you do anything else to it? Do you need to do anything else to it or you keep it pretty much how it is? Again, it was sort of the warranty thing really for me is that, again, this was, a, this was a daily driven car. It was my work commute car. It was going out in ice. It was going out in, in sun. So it needed to be reliable and I needed to be able to not have problems if there was going to be mechanical issues. So I needed to keep this Porsche warranty on it and renew the warranty. So I didn't mess with anything that was going to potentially upset that. So again, I didn't do anything to that car apart from get a set of winter tires and wheels, which I changed over. Um, but that was the only thing, really. I didn't clean it as much as I should have done. Really? I learned, I learned my lesson. <laughs> Why <is> not? That <laughs> I'm just too lazy. I'm just too lazy cleaning cars. Um, and black. Yeah, black. I was going to say black. I mean, I like black cars, and I've, I've owned two black cars, two black Audis, and, and they were a nightmare to keep clean, that's for sure. I think a combination of, of daily driving it, black cars, me not being particularly bothered about cleaning my cars is just not a good combination for keeping that looking as good as it could. So, okay. And every little, every little scratch you just notice because it's just black and it just shows up a little bit more. But this is, a, this is a reasonably new car when you purchase it. You know, so how did it go when you eventually decided, when you eventually decided to um, sell the car? Did that impact the value because you hadn't been looking after it as much as you should have? So, 
I guess, you know, it'd been maintained well and all in sort of the service intervals. So, you know, if 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 I'd have cleaned it properly um, and sort of detailed it, and I did do that a couple of times, it's just probably not as much as that car deserved. Um, when it came to trading in, it hardly depreciated at all from what I bought it. Yeah, I didn't bought think it would it have. Yeah. I mean, it's about the experience, isn't it? I, I did talk about this in in a previous podcast episode and, and after speaking with um, Bob, who daily drives his um, 991.2 GT3 in um, in Canada and in, in Houston. Um, it's about the experience. It doesn't really matter if you lose a bit of money. If you don't want to wash it all the time, that's okay. If you just want to drive it and enjoy it, if you want to drive it daily, if you want to drive it on the track, you know, it's about the value you get out of the experience and not sort of worrying so much as well. So you, you've got the 911, you've reached really the almost, you know, the pinnacle, so to speak, of, of what you've been sort of wanting for so many years. How long do you keep the 997.2 for? I kept that for three and a half years. Um, when it was, t- and then it started getting a few little mechanical things that were going wrong with it. Coil packs went, had a few PDK issues that were all sensor related, but, um, and then the alarm started playing up and it just started little niggles nothing major but just no longer becoming quite a reliable car as it was and again itchy feet three years i started looking around for the next thing i thought about them sorry sorry. ben so is that still under warranty when all those things happened it was and it was no issue they our local dealer was fantastic none of the problems were were a problem to fix i just got a little bit bored of having to think every time i get in the car is there going to be another warning light on it? Okay. Are they common? Are they common issues with the nine nine seven point two? No, I'd say none of none of these none of these were sort of massively problematic. I mean, the coil packs were, had cracked and they needed replacing. The PDK sensor turned out to be um, just a sensor where it just detected a slight bit of slip on the drivetrain and then just threw up a few errors. Uh, so they're all sort of sensor easy fixes rather than any sort of significant mechanical issues. Um, from that side of things but this was enough for you to lose the confidence and feel like you wanted to get something else or you just it just came to that three-year period again and you just got itchy and thinking i need something fresh i need something new yeah it was a lot of itchy feet um i'd i'd been to a porsche experience um or at silverstone where you can take a car around their handling circuit and i and i sort of went with a friend and we drove the 991.1 Okay. around that circuit um, and I remember thinking this is the car you're going to change into and I took that car around and remember thinking I don't like this very much it just it feels a bit more grown up it feels a little bit less sharp it feels a little bit less refined right. and I was expecting to get back into mine at the end of the day thinking you've got to change but I got back into mine and thought actually I don't want to upgrade Okay. There's nothing the 991 had that I couldn't get, and then some in the 997. Okay. And then I wasn't sure what, and then I wasn't sure really what to do. I knew, I knew I didn't want to upgrade to the 991 because I didn't feel like I'd be really upgrading. Yes. And then F types were around at that time, and again, I've always been sold on the visual looks of the car, and again, the sound and the looks were what made me think you need to try this. At some point, you need to try one of these, and it just was the right time. So, did you did you look for a, was this a new F type or was it a used F type? So again, this was a used one. This was this was a um, one that had come from Jaguar's sort of corporate headquarters. It was probably about just under a year old, 
um, and it was the it was the all-wheel drive um, V8 R. So at the time, the sort of the top of the range, most powerful one. Yeah, and you know the F Type. And I don't know whether this is the same for US listeners or, or people in Europe, but the F Type had a lot of hype about it, didn't it? It was very when it first came out. It was it was a really interesting car. It was something that people wanted. Um, how was the experience when you when you found this F Type? How was where you got it from a Jaguar dealer? You said I did. Um, now, if I could just have the car on the drive to look at, I would say the, fanta- the experience was fantastic. Um, but it was a sporty GT car rather than a sports car. I think it, I think it weighed something like 18, 1,800 kilos, and you could feel all of that weight going into a corner. I mean, it was ferociously fast, and it would spin its wheels. Or Even though it was all-wheel drive, it would spin its wheels very quickly but the handling was wasn't great the noise was amazing but it's all exhaust noise you could hardly tell there was any engine there at all and after a while that just got a little bit all the crackles and the pops just started thinking oh just seems a little bit like it's trying a little bit too hard Um, yeah and you had a lot of problems with quality with the cars I had I got to know our local Jaguar dealer very well. Okay. Um, I had no end of electrical issues. The fans went on it twice. So twice on my commute home, I had to pull over, open the bonnet to let heat dissipate because it was overheating. Really? Um, windows didn't work. The sat-nav threw error codes and couldn't read the SD card. And the final straw was when there was a sensor that went wrong in the gearbox and I couldn't select reverse gear. Really? Um which I think was highly entertaining for everyone at work. Not, you know, me not being able to reverse out of my parking space, but I just lost confidence in that car. It's a shame, isn't it? Because the, you know, the F-Type is, it is an attractive looking car. It really is. But these issues with Jaguar, they just don't seem to ever resolve them. They never receive, seem to resolve their quality issues and, and all these other issues that their cars still have. I can't, I can't fault our local dealer, but I just, I, I would never have a, another Jaguar Land Rover product. I just It was just all electrical reliability. So that's one car that you really were happy that you had a, a warranty then? That is the Yes, very happy. And it's the one car I sold before upgrading to anything else. I just wanted out of that car. So I sold it to a local dealer um, about, six, about six months before the pandemic hit. Okay, so this was late 2019 you sold it? Yes. So I was going to change it in the spring. And I remember I just got fed up of it by just after the summer and I just wanted rid of it. So how many years of ownership was that, Ben? That was probably about, that was just over three. Three years. Okay. So you're keeping the cars, even though it's problematic, you still kept it for the three years anyway. Did you, did you take a hit on that car? Did you lose a lot of money? I I took a, I took a huge hit, a, you know, a, I think I lost something like about £40,000 on, wow. on that car in that period of time, which I remember okay. thinking at the time uh, that this is a big hit. But, I, but equally, I didn't want to carry on paying for a car that I was going to spend a lot of time in the garage or at a dealer over winter. It just made no yeah. sense. I'm not going to try and rub it in, Ben, but you know if you would have kept your 997.2, you would probably have not have lost that much money. You know what? If I tried to buy that car now, <laughs> it would cost me more than I traded it in exactly. for. <laughs> exactly. I remember looking for that car afterwards and thinking, "What have you done? What have you done?" Um, yep. But you live and learn. Yep. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. All right. So you sell the car. You sell it before you've actually found something else. Um, it's it's pre-pandemic. 
Um, when do you find your next car and is it a Porsche? So it's my current car and that is a 981 Spider. And ultimately this is what I wanted, but again, they were selling for over, well over list price at the time I was potentially looking. And, and again, that was probably a little bit out of what I wanted to pay and I don't really have any kind of buying history for my local Porsche dealer. So there was no way they were going to give me an allocation for a new one. So I knew at some point I'd always wanted another Boxster. And I thought, if you're going to get another Boxster, you might as well get the best one that you can possibly get. And I just thought the spiders looked amazing. Rare as anything, no, no one around me had one. So I hadn't seen one in the flesh. And if the pandemic hadn't hit, I probably would have just looked to try and find one of those sort of last spring but it just was the wrong time and i sort of yeah that waited the, about a year it, it's a it's a really not you know the 981 is a i really like the 981 version you know what i mean i really do like it i think it's a great it's a great shape it's it's more resolved than the previous model um you know so where do you find the car and and what tell the listeners exactly what you found and what you bought so i've got a GT Silver 981 Spider, which I picked up from a dealer just outside London, not a Porsche dealer, because there were, at the time, I was looking maybe at most 10 on Auto Trader in the country. So they're few and far between. And I, I was quite, I thought I'm going I'm to be sensible at the options. I know what I want. It's got to have a certain things. It's got to have the 918 bucket seats, it's got to have extended leather. Ideally, I'd like some kind of contrast detailing on the inside. I want the sat-nav. Um, uh, and ideally, I'd have liked reversing camera. This is the one thing it didn't have on it, or I thought it didn't have on it, a reversing camera. Um, I'd seen this car um, come on the market, but I wasn't in a place to buy it. And at that time, it had gold wheels okay. and gold badges. I remember thinking, that's a nice car, but I do not like those wheels. Um, and it sold very quickly. And I just was looking on Instagram um, just one Saturday morning, and I happened to see that the dealer was taking it back into stock. And I thought, that's it. I'm, that is the car I'm having. And again, I messaged the dealer. And before he'd taken it into stock, I'd paid a deposit to basically get that car. Fantastic. Yeah, the, the spiders do keep their value, don't they? They're a bit like targers in a way. They, they're, they're, not, they're very hard to come by. Um, and they, they are very, uh, they, they, they really do keep their value. So you like the open top experience. I mean, you've gone from a Boxster, you went into your 911 and now you've gone back to a, you know, you've gone back to a Boxster Spider. How was the, the, the first feeling when you drove that car? I know you had the Jaguar in between, but did you have any regrets from not going back into a 911? No, I, I felt I'd sort of ticked that box. Um, and I think at the time, 911s, it was, they'd gone turbocharged. Um, my friend has just picked up a 992 um, a Carrera 2, and we've been out for that a couple of times, and it is so fast. I just And the thing about the Jaguar is that the speed is just unusable. The power is unusable. Um, uh, as a day-to-day -day proposition, you have to back off the accelerator before you've even started. And I think, I think probably the peak car for me has probably been and gone. Right. I'm not, none of the new ones appeal to me. There's just, they just don't seem, 
mechanically quite as involved there's a lot of electronics there's huge number of screens and it just they just don't do anything for me so I was never going to go forward in terms of newer models and started looking backwards which is why it was sort of the 981 spider yeah that's what I was saying when you said you you know you, you went on that 991.1 on the experience and you didn't really see it being much difference to your 997.2. I was wondering whether, you know, it came into your thought process before you got the spider, whether you were going to look back at an air-cooled or or something even older. That's what I was kind of, what, what I was suggesting. But that didn't come uh, again, into your thought process? No, again, I knew I, I knew I wanted a, another Boxster. So it, it was that sort of, I want another Boxster and, you know, here's one with a 911 engine in it. So this seems like a bit of a win-win really. Yeah, um, Steve is a really big fan of the of the Boxer Spider. Uh, he, I know he's he's always in his back of his mind, wouldn't mind having one for for his wife. Um, I like them. I really do like them, and and I like the nine eight one. I know everyone's raving about the, you know the new one, the four and whatever, but you know the nine eight one is a really is really a nice looking car. Is the top? And this is a question that everyone thinks about. Is the top as difficult to take off as people keep saying? No, it really isn't. I mean, it's once you learn how to do it, I can get it up and down in probably about 20 seconds, if I'm honest. The, the biggest pain is sort of having to turn the ignition on to sort of latch it open and latch it closed. But the actual operation of just putting the roof up and down is is no big deal. And in many ways, that's, that's exactly what I wanted from this car. I wanted a car that was a, a bit of a compromise in terms of it wasn't comfortable it wasn't just push a button and the and the roof closed. It felt like a bit of an occasion, a sense of adventure, something that you know was very much a car to take out for a drive rather than just a potter to the shops. So I like the the impracticality of the roof. Yeah, exactly. I'll just tell the listeners actually because I forgot to mention it earlier. Um, if you want to go and see Ben's cars and look at uh, look at what his uh, spider looks like, it's at Peaks P A K S Peaks Porsche on Instagram. I'll put the link uh, in the description of this podcast. But just go and check out uh, Ben's cars. Tell him you heard his story on Owner's Stories, and make sure you give him a follow at the same time. Um, what else about the Boxster? So what have you done? Have you? I mean, you basically bought this car during the pandemic, correct? That's what you said. You bought it. Pre-pandemic, I essentially, essentially bought it sight unseen. The first time I, I I saw it was when I was picking it up to bring it home. So you didn't get any checks done on this car then, as well. This is another one no, where you didn't think you needed to do anything. I, that that I agree. That so that was a bit of a gamble, but it had just been serviced by a Porsche dealer literally okay. a week before I was due to pick it up, and it was still within Porsche warranty. Um, it hadn't done many miles, so it was a bit of a calculated gamble. But again, I didn't think I could be picky on spec. This was a highly spec car. I mean, it also had ceramics as well. Oh, um, right. So which, that's which right, is, it does. Yeah, fantastic. Um, and I just knew that if I didn't get this car, there wasn't going to be another one that had that had um, that was going to come up, and I would regret it. So a bit of a calculated gamble. So far, it's paid off. Um, I don't think I'll renew the warranty. Um, when it comes up for renewal because as I found out it got a reversing camera fitted by the previous owner okay. um, which I'm pretty sure that won't get through the 11, 111 point check um, and he's also done some cosmetic things that he's added GT4 side scoops onto the side intakes oh okay uh, so you won't be able to get the warranty because of those, yeah, because of those and, issues and that would that, I have to say that troubled me just a little bit um, having had sort of long history of getting Porsche warranties but 
the rear visibility is so appalling um, is that I would rather have a reversing camera rather than a warranty um, because you can see nothing out of the back of this car. Right, um, right. So it, it was a price worth, pay, pay, worth paying. So have you, is it this summer where you're going to really start enjoying it? Have you actually had a chance to enjoy it with all the lockdown that's been happening in the UK? Yeah, so, I mean, I, I bought it in February um, and it sat in the garage for a number of a number of months and it's only really started coming out as we've been able to get out and about and I've got you know this morning went to a a meet in Sheffield Centre with um, uh, some other owners and it seems like things are just gradually starting up again I've got a a trip around Wales planned with a few other Porsche owning friends later on the year Um, uh, so it just feels like the the opportunities to use it now that the weather is picking up are just going to increase and yeah, it's brilliant. It's exactly what I wanted. So, is this the sort of is this the car, Ben, that you think you you might try to hold on to? Whereas, if you if you need another car, a more practical car, you'll just buy a practical car, and this one will stay in the garage. Or is this one going to be the three to four year term that you usually have? I think this one. I think this one might be the one that's different. Mind you, you asked me in three years' time. <laughs> <laughs> Who knows? But I've got I've got use. You know, I've got a I've got a Ford Fiesta as a runaround. So. This can very much be a a sort of occasion car, but I I love the way it looks. The sound's amazing. The drive is ever, is is it? And if I'm honest, I think it's probably the best Porsche I've ever had. And again, I okay. don't know what I'd upgrade to. Compared to your other Boxsters, is is there a apart from the power? Was there anything else that you noticed that was different when you were driving the Spider? The 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 steering is a, a lot sharper. A lot sharper. Um, okay. A lot sharper. Um, it goes around corners far better than the 911 or the Boxsters. I don't know whether it's a bit of a GT4 suspension, but it is incredibly responsive, sort of just going around some country roads. Um, it, it feels, it corners incredibly flat, but the ride quality is, is very, very good. I don't know how they've done it. It's, 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 it's so comfortable driving around town, yet you can throw it around the country roads and it will just stick like glue do you think the seats are a part of that experience though you think the seats make that that feel different the whole experience yeah, again, feel different again the carbon buckets are not everyone's cup of tea because you know the position you they give you is the position you've got and luckily for me i find them quite comfortable but again i wanted the buckets even though i never sat in them because i wanted that sense of it feeling as much like a I guess a race car feel in many ways on the road. I mean, it looks fantastic with it. I'm looking at your Instagram now. If you're wondering what I'm looking at, I'm looking at your Instagram now, and you know the yellow stitch detail. I really love the silver, the GT silver with the yellow stitch. You know, the contrast stitch. It's just, it's just fantastic with the deviated stitch. And also, you've got the black wheels. I mean, either, you know, the black wheels or even the satin, uh, the satin platinum wheels always look good with the GT silver as well. Um, it's, it's a, it's a, you know, you should hold on to this one, Ben. It's, it really is a great looking. Uh, a great-looking uh, Boxster, that's for sure. Great-looking Spider. Yeah, I, I agree. It's probably the nicer. I, I thought the F-Type was nice-looking car. I think this is uh, this is nicer. Yeah, no, that um, rear, that rear. When you do the view from the from the back, that quarter sort of rear view, it looks just. Um, it looks. It's such a great line. It really is a great line. And I think the silver is is, to me, the best color in the box in the Spider. You know, I really do. I think it's the best color. It was a shortlist of silver or the sapphire blue. Um, uh, but sapphire blue and ceramics, I think there maybe is one or two in the country. So uh, if, if, uh, if, if a sapphire with ceramics had come up, I'd have yeah. probably gone for that. But, yeah, the blue's but, good. Um, 
But because you've got the black wheels, you've got the yellow ceramics, you know, you've got the yellow deviated stitch, you know, it all just comes together in, in such a great way. It really is a, a, a beautiful car. You've got a great one there, that's for sure. Thank you. I mean, that's why I got the, the wheels changed from the gold to the black. Is yeah. I thought that would just tie tie that all together, and I'm delighted how it looked. I, I think it's a, it's such a nice looking car. Yeah, I bet you can't. I mean, it's a, it's a beautiful day here in London today, but I bet you can't wait for that hot weather to come out and and, and start driving more and more. Yeah, absolutely. So <clears throat> we're almost at the end of the podcast. Um, so everyone likes to know, like where you where you live in Sheffield, or what. What are the best roads? What are your favorite roads or roads that you'd like to take your spider on that you haven't taken them on already? So probably my favorite stretch of road um, uh, to drive on is the Snake Pass, which goes from Sheffield to Manchester. Um, and it essentially goes across the Peak District. And it's a series of reasonably fast, um, uh, quite tight turns in places. There's sort of opportunities to sort of change down to second and third and then the odd time to really um rev it out a reasonable reasonable bit but you've got to be there early because it gets very very busy and it's the main commuter route between Sheffield and Manchester so either an early morning or a a late evening it's it's a great road to drive across Um, uh, there's some really nice quieter roads through the peaks the best drive I've ever done in this country is actually through Wales. So driving essentially around Snowdonia okay. is what we're going to try and reproduce later on. So if it's not the Snake Pass, I'm going to take it across to North Wales later on this year. North Wales. Okay. Good to know. Good to know. Um, there's some great roads in, in the UK though, isn't there? There's some really great roads in, in Scotland and, and et cetera. That's for sure. Scotland's def- yeah, Scotland's definitely on the list, um, yeah. as is as is the Lake District as well. I've had some good trips around the Lake District, so those are all on, on the list. We're you know we're fortunate in the Peak District to have some really good roads, um, but you've got to pick your times uh, and you've got to pick your routes. Um, but there's lots I've yet to discover. Absolutely, sounds fantastic. Um, and you said to me in your message, you're you're a bit of a watch fan as well. I was I always like the correlation between our Porsches and watches. There seems to be a lot of us that are <laughs> that have the uh, the obsession. That's for sure. Yeah, very much so. Um, uh, you know, I'm wearing what I you know the large a large part of the money I actually got back from the Jaguar. Um, I invested that into a watch. To, I thought <laughs> that this, this is at least something I'm, I'm not going to lose a huge amount of money on. Um, what did you get? Uh, I got a um, a deep sea um, James Cameron deep sea. Oh, you got the deep sea. Um, nice. Yeah. Did um, you get allocation so, for that, or did you buy it grey market? Oh no, that you know. Again, if I walked into my local Rolex dealer, they would. Uh, in fact, I did actually try, um, and they did the courteous thing of taking my details. And I'm very sure that card <laughs> went straight in the bin. Um, so I, I bought it again from a from a from a grey market dealer, and that's probably one of the very few things I have bought and not lost any money on so far. So yeah, they're definitely appreciating asset. I mean, I tried. I have to say, we'll just talk about watches quickly. But I, I tried on the um, deep sea in Bahrain um, at the Rolex AD. There, they had they didn't have the deep. They didn't have the James Cameron. They just had the black. And I tried it on, and I could have had that, or I could have taken my Sea Dweller Forty Three. And I always wanted the deep sea. Like I always, always wanted it then. But then when I tried it on, and even though I've got a few Panerais as well, even though um, when I tried it on, it just, for some reason, it just felt too big on me, which is, I don't know whether I, I was just in the wrong frame of mind that day. And I kind of keep thinking maybe I should try one on again, but um, it just felt too big. I, I think about the Sea Dweller you've got, I think if I had tried the one you've got on, which I think is the 43, I'm pretty sure I would think this looks better on me. 
Um, but again, it was the dial I wanted, and I can justify it to myself that it looks fine on me. I've got I've got skinny wrists, but they're quite flat wrists, so I can it doesn't look ridiculous. Um, but you know, it's a toss up between the two. I think they're both they're both fantastic looking. Yeah, yours watches. is. I mean, I think if if the Rolex dealer in Bahrain had the James Cameron one, I probably would have bought it because it you know it is i've always loved that dial i think that's what it was i think if it was if they had that one i probably still would have bought it you know what i mean um due to the rarity and due to the color and everything like that it really is a beautiful um beautiful watch yeah i'd really like a a, a polar explorer too but the values on those have just gone ridiculous and i think i missed my boat there to be honest. Well, you know i have a good relationship with the rolex dealer in bahrain um when i bought my explorer 2 the blackface one um I could have got the white one. I could have taken the white one as well. Um, and I declined to take it. And I'm thinking maybe I should have bought both of them. <laughs> Be a healthy down payment on a GT3 if you did. <laughs> um, and that was a pretty much retail, so that was, always, that was always good. All right, Ben, that's great. Thank you so much for um, – we've come to the hour. We always like to keep these just uh, over an hour, under an hour, I should say. We're just a little bit over. Um, thanks so much for um, sharing your poor story today. Thank you. And I just want to say thank you. I know I said to you before we started recording, but I started listening to Porsche Cooled when I started looking for my spider. And it's been a lot of fun hearing everyone's owner's stories and just hearing about all the little details that I sort of fuss over about stitching and trim. So that's really been a lot of fun, Michael. So big thank you to um, for putting this together. It's, it's been really enjoyable following the series. Thanks, Ben. I'm, I'm glad you've been enjoying it. Yeah, it's it's like it's like our obsession makes sense when we when we talk about it, and we know there's so many other people out there with the same obsession, isn't it? It's kind of like absolutely, that. yeah, yeah. All right, thank you, Ben. Thank you so much. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. Thank you for having me on. Thank you so much. Thanks for being on uh, Porsche Cooled Owner Story. So everyone, that was Ben coming in from Sheffield. Uh, he's multiple Porsche owner, uh, Boxsters, Boxster S, nine nine seven point two Carrera 4S um, and the beautiful, beautiful Boxster Spider that he owns now. Like I said, go to at Pigs Porsche, uh, give Ben a follow, have a look at his cars. Um, you won't be disappointed. All right. That's owner stories for today. Thanks for listening and bye for now. <laughs>